to 20 and 20. This is the co-working edition. This is where we ask 20 questions in 20-ish minutes, you know, depending on how much gushing and, and sharing and willingness to gush and share that I have on the other side of the camera, because Lord knows I could talk for hours. Uh, our intention is to leave people feeling uplifted, informed, and inspired. I'm your host, Lisa Skyheim. Uh, in this particular edition of 20 and 20, and during the month of June, I'm connecting with co-working industry experts, operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, our clients who help us to pay the bills, the co-working members themselves, so that we can learn how together we will weather this storm. So co-working, we know, has been around as a defined term for over a decade now. Uh, executive office suites, shared office suites have been around 30, 40 plus years the office space and real estate industry, like many industries, has really been impacted, of course, by the coronavirus or COVID-19. And, and I believe in the big picture co-working will absolutely thrive, survive and thrive, because large and small companies will want that flexible space. Um, but the question is, how do we survive this time? And so you have a bit of experience in this industry, and hence you are my guest today. So today's guest is Tanya Malcolm, who is the founder and CEO of Athletic Mama. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Where are you right now? You're in the middle of the gorgeous Canadian Rockies. Is that right? Yeah. I live in Fernie, British Columbia for a U.S. Um, geographic reference. It's about an hour north of Eureka, Montana. So I'm in the southeast corner of the province of British Columbia. Yeah. Are you a skier, by the way? No border. <laughs> no border. Yeah. I tore my ACL skiing. Now I've only snowboarded, but I'm, I'm a Florida girl too. So I'm an ocean, ocean girl more than mountain girl. But my mom has been in Portland, Oregon the last, you know, 20 years and oof, Mount Hood, those mountains, there's something majestic about yeah. them that just sends your soul. Right. I mean, yeah. Oof. Awesome. Um, so, uh, Tanya, you were born in Toronto, but you grew up in upstate New York. Um, and a little fun fact, your first job was milking cows on a dairy farm. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. yeah so a uh, quick, quick story, because those are some of the coolest people. Um, yeah. And, and this, this, this really shaped me who I was. So I didn't have um, paperwork to work, right? We were there on an entrepreneurial visa for my father. So the way that I worked, I didn't have paperwork. So I had to find cash jobs. And mm -hmm. so uh, in upstate New York, there's tons of dairy farms. My best friends owned one. So uh, I started working for cash milking cows. And uh, well, I started feeding feeding calves first was my first job. Uh, and I, I slowly worked my way into the parlor. But this is a really cool story. One of the days, uh, so the two farmers were brothers, Rick and John, and they uh, Rick says to me, Oh, I got to pick up a part for the combine in the city, you want to go for a ride? And I was like, Sure, right? We we're about 20 minutes south of Syracuse, New York, and he just wanted some company. And I'm, I'm 15 years old. And it's New York State Lottery billboard $40 million. This would be I don't know, 1994 or something it was big money. And, um, and I said, Oh, Rick, what would you do with $40 million? And he looked me dead in the eye. And he said, I'd farm bigger. And I, I remember looking over at him and thinking, I'm going to have a job that I love so much that if I win the lottery, I will just do what I'm doing bigger and better. 
Amazing. Oh my gosh, I love it. Wow. So talk about inspiration then for paving the way for the rest of your life. Yeah, I love that. Um, so now you live in the heart of the Canadian Rockies. You are, yeah. uh, you are though now on a fitness journey that really began, you know, you know, two years ago, it seems. You're a baller mom, literally. You love basketball and you play recreational every Thursday. You coach a junior high girls basketball team, right? And you play yourself on a travel soccer team. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. For I any soccer eight years. Not as an adult. My 43-year-old body, I don't know if I can do it. So good, good on you. Yeah. Uh, I definitely identify as an athlete. I have an athlete's mindset. Um, Athletic Mama is all about connecting with women who identify as athletes, really, and elevating the inner athlete within each person. So when I do anything competitive I really like to win you know and I I mean I definitely have instilled that into my kids I can pull up a game of Candyland with my five-year-old and she like before we have the pieces on the board she's gonna say I'm gonna win <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> now are they okay losers also are they are they, yeah, they, they lose with grace of course okay good we lose with grace I love that see I have little ones mine are only four three three and four and a half and so I'm teaching them this whole notion about like it's just a, you know fun of the game and you know we don't have to you don't have to win you know or it doesn't mean anything negative if you lose right so it's amazing how we can shape these people right the extraordinary the journey of motherhood yeah yeah it's it is, it is that, and that's a whole other episode. So uh, you also identify yourself as as a community organizer, a naturalist, a a, nat- a naturalist, yes, a political citizen, justice seeker, and you're a happy wife, which is wonderful. Um, you, I love that you were a pregnancy and birth empowerment coach for 12 years until 2015. Um, you worked a lot with nonprofits. Um, you were the community and marketing manager at Ground Floor Coworking space, which is part of why I, of course, invited you on here, because you were involved in operations and management and marketing there. And though you're no longer with them, because you're focused on Athletic Mama, you are currently the co-chair of the Coworking BC Society. And so you have a lot of knowledge, not only about the co-working industry, but, you know, as a com- someone who de- declares yourself as a community organizer, and that truly is at the heart of co-working, you, you can speak to the notion of community and the impact that some of the changes with the work from home culture may have on community and on people. I can, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. I have a lot of ideas about that. Good. So the first, you know, first thing though, I I do want to do, and I know we had a pre-talk also here and that I want to acknowledge that there's just, there is not only on top of the global pandemic, right? There is a cry that is echoing out across our country here in the U S but across the world. And it, you know, it's the fight against racism. It is a cry for criminal justice reform. It is, it is so many things and that are happening louder than they've ever happened before because of the access to information, the social media, the ability that everyone has to share what is really going on in the world. I get goosebumps over here. And so, you know, how, how are you doing, first of all, and, and how are you feeling about it all? Yeah, I've been like when with my close friends, I'm always when they're like, you know, how are you doing? I'm I I usually use humor to make myself feel better and I say the loaded question <laughs> because I honestly am up 
and down. And actually, while we're talking about acknowledging the current climate, I want to acknowledge the land because in Canada, our federal government has started a truth and reconciliation with the Indigenous people in our country. And so when we gather, we are meant to honor the land that we uh, reside on. And so I reside on the homelands of the Tanaha Nation. And so I just really want to take time to do that because I'm doing my work in uh, honoring Indigenous peoples. And um, so I just, you know, shout out to the Tanaha and to the Tanaha homelands because the land where I live is beautiful. Um, but to go back to how I'm doing, I today I had a breakdown. Yesterday I felt strong AF. I, I had a team meeting. I'm a program manager for a local tech association and I manage their youth programs. Last week I had a breakdown with my boss. This week she was feeling a lot of pressure uh, and I was the one feeling strong. And then this morning I learned uh, about um, Raisha Brown. I hope mm. I said her name right. Raisha, and, yeah. Yeah, uh, Brooks. Sorry, and yeah, Brooks. Uh, Thank you, uh, Brooks. And I again was triggered, um, and for me, that trigger is a connection to uh, my son being a seventeen-year-old black man and potentially heading to play basketball at a, a U.S. school or even just anything, just leaving home. I think part of it is also that I'm like my first son is going to college. I just I get, uh, it's starting to come just talking about it. I get that frog in my throat and it's connected to uh, fear. So it triggers this fear and my nervous system starts to break down. And it's, um, it's so difficult to, to continue to function and be a productive team member. And, you know, it really impacts my ability to show up in the world the way I want to. And so I've been just being a little bit more transparent about that um, yeah. for everybody. And, and I think that for me has been a real blessing of, of the exposure to, to Black Lives Matters because I, I never really talked about how it was impacting me. And so if I was falling behind at work or if I was emotional or um, irritated and you know short with somebody, I never felt like I could say, well, you know, another murder happened yesterday. Like, of course I'm pissed off, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now everybody is acknowledging. Be more vocal and more transparent about how it impacts me as a human. Yeah, yeah. And then it gives other people permission to do the same, of course, when you're vulnerable and authentic like that as well. Yes. So that we, you can together be in the space. Thank you for asking me how I'm doing because you know, um, you know, I would never be in an in, I would never feel like except for in a time like now to be on a live e Instagram and answer that question in the way I just did. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm really just being with it with you. And so thank you for being honest and open and willing uh, to be to share. Um, you know, we talked very lightly about this next question I had for you. You know, I've, one of, I, I have so many joys that are coming for me as a result of doing these 20 and 20 interviews. I get to not only connect with these, some of the most inspiring people in my, in my huge circles, the network, you know, networking circles I've developed over the last 20 years in New York City based, but that it branches out to Canada and beyond, you know, at this point. 
but so on a, on a recent Instagram post, yeah, I do a lot of research on, on my guests, of course, before, before we talk. <laughs> and so, and, and I, it only inspires me more. And so on a recent Instagram post, you know, you recounted an exchange that you had with your oldest son, where you said to him, when you live your entire life facing hatred and disadvantages, you feel that there's no justice. And so stereotypes don't matter. You don't care about stereotypes. And so the question that I had to you or for you was about racial profiling and, and the incidents of racial injustice that you've experienced in your life, because I will tell you that as, as maybe this is a sort of a silly analogy, I'll give a quick business-ish uh, networky type analogy, but in the, in the global networking organization that I was involved with for a long time, we met weekly and you would meet with all these different types of business professionals. And we literally would have 75, 80 different professionals in a room each week. And someone mm -hmm. would stand up and I, and I, I was a director and leader in this organization. And we would say, I, I would often use the analogy and say, how many people in the room just bought a car, you know, and in New York city, not many, but ever bought a car in your life. Okay. So, you know, how many people bought a car? How many people, once you bought that car, we driving around and all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Well, it's not because everybody went and bought a car. It's because that's in the front of your, your mind and your awareness. And so what I think is interesting is that I gave you this question before we talked and you said to me, well, let me turn it back on you. And so maybe, maybe in your words, why don't you turn it back on me and let me share with you, you know, some of my thoughts. So because, yeah. because, because the point of the question, sorry, the point of the question here is because I think that as a white person experiencing my white privilege in the world, it's not in the front of my mind. It's in my subconscious. It's not in my conscious. And so it's only now in the last three weeks that I'm waking up on another level and I'm saying, holy shit, you know, like, how can I be part of the solution? How can I be not just not a racist? How can I be anti-racist? How can I be part of the solution? And, and so that's, that's where I'm at. But, but so, but, but when I hear that, when I hear the recounts of the stories, then I say, oh, oh. And I know, and it's, it's hard because, you know, we have 400 years of stories. And so sometimes, so when you ask me that, when you say, you know, can you tell us about some of those uh, racial uh, profiling experiences or any kind of acts of racism that you've experienced? Like, that's not an enjoyable question for me to answer to begin with. Yeah. So I like start with that second. Um, it's, it's so much easier for you to feel like you're doing the work. This is my opinion about why white people should not ask black people to, to, to that question, to talk about those experiences, racist experiences. One, it kind of feels like, do I still have to almost prove that I'm experiencing these things? Two, yeah. it's not a fun experience for me to talk about those experiences. Yeah. Um, it gives black people a sense of like, should I be comparing my experiences where I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood? I was adopted by a white family. I grew up in a white culture. I live, I married a white man. I'm in a white, predominantly white community. And my experience of racism, microaggressions, less than someone in a different community. So there's a, then there's then there's this act of comparison to to race to racism that we do as black people, right? Yeah. Which yeah. we always in any type of personal development we're saying don't compare, right? Don't compare. Don't compare. Well, I don't want to yeah. feel like my experiences of racism are less than somebody else's either. And so by talking about them, that opens up a platform for that. Okay? Yeah. And then why I would want to turn that around and say no, don't 
don't focus on the experience, all the injustices that have happened to me to do your work in terms of keeping it to the forefront of your mind. Focus instead on conversations that you might have had where that, that, that anti-racist part of you, that intuitive, your intuitive self that felt very uncomfortable in whatever experience that was, maybe you witnessed racism. Did you speak up? Can you tell me about a time you spoke up for racism? Can you, can you tell me about a time where you experienced white privilege? You knew you were experiencing white privilege. You identified as it and you still said nothing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about a time where you spoke up to be anti-racist? Yeah. In my opinion, from where I'm sitting in my perception, that is the work that white people need to be doing. Those are the conversations that white people need to be having with each other. Yes, 100%. I love it. Thank you so much. And so see, this is, yes, I love it. Thank you, Liz is acknowledging. There's our friend Liz, who we love so much acknowledging you, right? And see, there's your cheerleader. You're, she thinks you're her fan. You're her, you're, you guys have a mutual love fest going on. Um, thank you. I, I think that, um, you know, part of what I had to acknowledge when I said to myself, well, I, I want to be part of this conversation. So the reality is, is that I might mess up a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example, by the way. I, I don't even know. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. See, I'm like, should I give the example? Should oh, I, I not give the example? With that uncomfortableness, because you're safe. But so last week, you know, I, one of my dear, um, a dear friend of mine, a gentleman named Light Watkins, who teaches meditation, who's got a lot of um, f new followership because he leads meditation, but he's doing daily three-minute um, talks about all sorts of topics, a lot of racism. He's a fair-skinned black man. And he shared with me, um, uh, uh, oh no, he shared in one of his talks about the first time that he was, you know, pulled aside by the police and the first time that he was called the N-word. But when I, when I recounted the story to someone I was interviewing last week, I said the N-word and someone said it, but I said the actual word, not the N-word. And someone brought up to me the next day and she said, I just want to let you know that I don't, and as a white, white woman, friend of mine said to me, you, I don't, you shouldn't actually be saying the actual word because it could be triggering or traumatizing for someone that has been called that word in a derogatory sense. And, and only, she told me that only black people should be able to use that word. And, and again, I was recounting the word, the story, mm -hmm. but I can see now in retrospect where, yeah, okay, better for the rest of my life that if God forbid I ever even need to be referencing that word, I say the N word, you know, just keep it, PC, but not triggering and not, again, contributing to more dredging up trauma. And like you said, when I ask you that this is more learning for me, when I ask you the question of, uh, can you recount some of the incidents? Thank you for telling me, no, I don't want to do that. You're basically saying like, read a freaking book, read, go watch Ava DuVernay's amazing documentary that I cried so hard on the plane, you know, mm -hmm. watching last, last week, um, because there's enough recounting there. And as a mm -hmm. white person, I can get my education from a hundred different sources other than, you know, going to, to the, the black people in my community and my circles. And, and also just like, that is my personal, um, belief like I don't you know like do you know what I mean you because I also want to highlight what you're saying is that when you can connect with people who you know because I'm the same way right and yeah. and and so and since I've been talking about it on my lives and sharing my experiences so many people have reached out to me to say like oh my god like you know I'm not crying when I hear the news stories but I'm crying when I hear 
how that is impacting you, my friend. So like, I think what you're saying is valid. Like, you, you know, when people can yeah, identify with mm -hmm. that experience, the trauma, the triggers, the, the stress, like the, it's a lot of stress. Um, yeah. Did, was I paused there? Something yeah. happened. Yeah, that's all right. Um, yeah, we're together. Uh, you know, they, like you say, it's it's more, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a p more powerful for them. But I don't want to talk about that shit. <laughs> Oops, cursing. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. That's <laughs> all right. Beep, beep. <laughs> so, uh, but, but I did ask you a question. Do you, do you? Yeah. Um, times where you've been bold and you spoke up or haven't and yeah 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 so so i said this i was so i was talking to my general manager tim who's a black man from trinidad um when you brought up this question earlier today and i said gosh i don't i don't i'm really thinking right now like am i am i being ignorant and that i can't remember any uh, am i am i a mother who i definitely lean on memory loss from having two children as i can't remember <laughs> things in my life and i said I went because I, I said I went to school at I was a minority in my school. My school was 52% black in, in high school. Um, I lived there were a lot of black people in the neighborhood in South Florida where I where I grew up. Um, I was attacked and stabbed by a black man when I was 17. My lung collapsed. I was in the hospital for five days with a chest tube in me to re-expand my lung. I experienced trauma or um, you know PTSD from that for sure for years. And I never, and I now consciously am saying to myself, well, I never said, oh, black man stabbed me, black means equal, black people equal bad. But again, because, you know, one of my dearest friends who was, was a black man committed suicide five years ago, because of our effed up system, you know, there I want to swear, because he was HIV positive and gay and, and cheating the system to get healthcare, saying he lived with his aunt, and and thought that he had been discovered by the insurance companies and was so paranoid that he was going to go to jail and one of the last conversations he had with his mom was mama you don't know what they're going to do to me as a gay black man in prison i can't go there i can't go there and he committed suicide you know and and i mean you know he's deeply with me and goosebump spirit right now i can feel it and and so i i think that um that i just I've never seen myself as someone who doesn't speak up, you know, like I saw I was parked at a light and saw some woman, two men grabbed her handbag at midnight, you know, one night and I, I went racing off down a back alley honking my horn like, yeah, and then you know, like, I, I can't not do that. I can't not say, you know, I almost someone who throws litter out of their car. I want to go like, who raised you? Who do you think's gonna pick that up? You know, like, I'm, I'm a speak up kind of person. But so what I but I want to so to answer the question, so we can move on. So you can see we're gonna be here for an hour. <laughs> I, I, I can see so pertinent to the topic, where now I'm being proactive, though, in terms of being part of the solution. When someone sent me a, a sign two weeks ago, um, Benjamin Diet, uh, who you may know from the Juicy Conferences, was just tuning in. He would, made a joke about this when I brought it up in our, my interview with him two weeks ago. The sign, first version of the sign and how to sanitize your hand, it was sent to me. It was white people's hands. And I said, why are the hands white? Is there, why? Why are the hands white? You know, but I don't know that I would have honestly recognized that before now, Tanya. And, and uh, Benjamin goes, well, it's just because I look at that sign and I say, white people don't know how to wash their hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Benjamin, 
anyway, so and he's a dark skinned black man, you know? And so anyway, to make it fun of me, but so um, I got pitched for a virtual assistant uh, program this last week called Virtual Emily. And I thought, no, Emily, that sounds very white. Why am I using a pro? Why would I produce a program called versus virtual Wanda or virtual Viola? And I wrote that back to them. And I said, this name sounds really white. And given what's going on in the country right now, I want to be part of the amplification of the black voices, black community. And by the way, I, I don't know if I should put you on. We're live here, right? And so should I bring this up with you? But I know that you're part of, um, is it Beachbod? Beachbod. Beachbod, I went to their website, I saw your picture up in the top. And then guess what, I started scrolling and scrolling and I see white woman CEO, a white person, white person. And here are all the virtual Karen, see Benjamin, he's hilarious. Thank you for the humor. I love you. Um, but I see like here are the success stories, white, 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 and the whole scroll everywhere, white people, not even an Asian, Spanish, I don't think anything. And so and guess what, at the bottom, then I was like searching for a comment section so I can tell them why don't you have any diversity in your photos. And all I saw was a, how was your experience on the page? And I put a one and then it said, can you give us additional comments? And I said, yes. Have you considered that you have all white people on your cover? And I sent the comment to them. And so I think that these are maybe the small ways that I'm starting to realize that, that, wow, look, holy shit. There I go right back to you. Now we have, we're one for one. You know, let me, how can I wake up to being part of the, the solution, you know, and, and, of equality and and be, how can I be anti-racist and and pro diversity and inclusion? Uh, you know I agree with everything that you're saying, and I'm starting to see things that I never saw before as well. And I I live in a mixed race home, right? So I have my I a blended marriage, mixed race home. So uh, blended family, <laughs> not a blended marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what y'all do up in Canada there. <laughs> that, that's also another, another episode. I know you have some other really great questions for me, but I do yes. want to thank you actually, because when you reached out to me, this is really important because this is happening a lot right now to black influencers. Black influencers want to be approached to talk about their areas of expertise. You know, when you reached out to me, you weren't like, can we talk about what's the climate about what's happening and how that impacts co-working or like, can we talk about diversity and inclusion and how that because that and how that impacts fitness or whatever, like and wellness. No, you reached out to me and said, first of all, you introduced how we were connected. So there was a connection with someone I know, so that helps. And then also you're, you listed all the research that you've done on me and said, you know, I would love to have you on because of this A, B, and C, and these are your areas of expertise, mm -hmm. right? Then when I got my questions, I'm like, okay, yeah, great. And you're recognizing that I am black and that I'm gonna be able to talk about the current climate of, I don't even know what to call it. It's like the movement that is happening right now, this huge movement and how that, impacts me and the important work that I do. I've gotten a lot of requests for interviews just to talk about racism. Mm, yeah. like and diversity and cultural competency and like I'm black. That doesn't yeah. mean expert in talking about like people study this and are yes. have like doctorals in cultural competency. Like those are the people that you need to get on your shows to talk about that. So thank you for keep for like not doing the tokenism thing and people need to understand that like 
inviting someone to be a part of your panel because they're black don't like find out what their expertise is in and invite them to talk about that that yeah. is inclusion yeah that person that you know or that's in your industry to talk about diversity inclusion is tokenism yeah agreed love it love the distinction so let's keep moving shall we yes um and before we move to your business we i i do have another uh i'm gonna ask one more question here you're a mother to three with five years in between all those i think yeah. six eleven and sixteen is that approximately one to turn seventeen um, yeah yeah okay so how is the conversation that you're having with them about racism and what's going on in the world right now differing between those age groups six 12 17 right yeah it doesn't differ yeah it doesn't differ but i don't know if that's because i'm just like that like kids gotta know the real thing like i'm not gonna soften anything for my mm -hmm. six-year-old or if that's because i have mixed race kids so yeah. eldest is black my youngest are because i'm half right i'm half and i'm half i'm half white half black so my my eldest is only a quarter white and my mm -hmm. two youngers are only a quarter black so they're yeah. white, right right and so they're learning about white privilege i'm learning about white privilege because they're moving through a, wor a world that is very different than what my older son is how he's moving through the world and so um but a really touching story that happened uh, in my home and in my community on the weekend. Um, so I live in a predominantly white community and it's affluent. It's a, it's a ski town. And yeah. I know I want to, I want to come. It sounds, sounds nice. You come. I got a girlfriend. Sweet spare room for you on skiing. Okay. Ooh, so, um, we, they're hosting a demonstration and I get linked into the organizers and it's turning quickly into this, like, it, I'm just, it's like, it seems a bit performative. Mm -hmm. Like, well, they want to hear stories from people of color. Anyone had problems with the police? Let's get the indigenous speakers in. And, and I'm like, you know, in the big scheme of things, there's not like violence in my community is but from cops. Like, right. so I'm like, no. And I, and I linked in my good friend, Carrie Wall, who uh, is the is what my friend who can be like I am so I have way too much white privilege to like understand that she'll say that to me she'll be like no I can't answer that Tanya because like I'm just I have so much privilege and this is like she said stuff like that to me before what's happening right now yeah. um, so I said to my so they they host this demonstration it does turn into like uncomfortable conversations for white people is basically what the demonstration <laughs> turns into so great very for the context of my community that's a perfect type of event so it's sunday afternoon i said to my family we're going to go and support this event and um i said and my my daughter my six-year-old said what is it and i said well it's for the black lives matter movement and she's like do we have to go and i said i really think we should go like i really want you to understand what this is all about and she goes i do understand what it's about and i said well what is black lives matters and she goes well Nesta is a black person and he matters to me. <laughs> and that's her older brother. Right? Mm -hmm. And then we're all, oh, like the whole dinner table, because we're at dinner, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's um, really sweet. But, you know, in the big scheme of things, the conversations that I'm having, like the one I, that you referenced that I had, um, that I shared on, on my Instagram happened yeah. with 
around. Like we're, we're just having these conversations. Yeah, good. Well, again, going back to like our, our friend Kat Johnson said, authenticity and vulnerability, it will, it will serve us all well. Um, you describe yourself as a community organizer, like Obama, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, you're, again, we said political citizen, justice seeker. Can you, before we, I, I promise we're going to talk about Athletic Mama next. Um, is there a message that you want to send to white Americans, white people right now, how to be in action? I mean, I, I think we've already touched on a lot of it in this conversation. So I think that it goes back to that first question. It's like, don't be, don't be so focused on the injustices of black people. It exists. Yeah. We're experiencing it. We're seeing it. The questions are like, what am I saying? Am I, be, am, I com am I comfortable being uncomfortable in those moments with someone, like maybe it's your very best friend that says some BS and you're like, you know, find the tools, find, like ha have the tools in your back pocket to say, what, a, what are you gonna say in that moment of uncomfort? What is it what, that you're gonna, I mean, some of my friends have been saying, I think I'm gonna say, what do you mean by that? And like another girlfriend said to me, I'm gonna say, that sounds racist. <laughs> And like whatever it is, whatever the phrase that you need to have in your back pocket so that in that moment you can be anti-racist, find it, yeah. figure it out, do that work. And speak up. Yep. Amen. Um, so I what inspired you to, I want to say anything to white people, just speak up. Speak up. There we go. Two words. Okay, yeah. it's, always, it's always simple. Isn't it? And what inspired you to launch Athletic Mama? Tell us more about it. A race. It was a race. It was a Spartan race. Like I said earlier, I I, I want to get into co-working. So I'm going to, you guys follow me at Tanya Malcolm, uh, but I'm here to talk co-working. So I'm going to, I mean, I love my business and I want to support it and join my fitness community for sure. That's my pitch. I'll tell this quick story, but then let's get into co-working because I know we were trying to keep it sh in. Yeah. We're at 30. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> well, um, you know, I was working full time, tired, the only fitness that I did was my Thursday night basketball, my Monday night soccer. And honestly, my fitness level didn't match my competitive spirit. So it, it, it played out in like me wanting to go get the ball and not and my body being like, mm, no, you're not going to get there on time. You know, those type of situations. And when you're, you know, when you're an athlete, that's really hard. Right. But I wasn't doing anything about it. I wasn't training. So, um, my, mm. At the time, some colleagues of mine entered the Spartan race, and I just, I really had that mentality. I was like, I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete. And I do, I could rely on youth and athleticism for a really long time and do well. But like, I had, I was in denial about that stage of my life. For when, you. Yeah. I just, I couldn't rely on that anymore, but I didn't know it. And so mm. their training, I didn't even know. I just paid the registration team fee. I was like on their team. I'm like, okay, we're getting t-shirts great I but I wasn't I didn't know what I really signed up for they told me it was an obstacle course race like are you familiar with Spartan race like it's a it's a crazy race and you're like big muscles yeah <laughs> strength I'm rolling commando crawl through mud and it's a big deal um and so they're training at lunch hour and I'm like, I'm good. Like I, I just didn't train. And then it's like two nights before Spartan race. And my husband's like, what is it? And I was like, I don't know. It's an obstacle course race. He's like, didn't you look it up? And I said, yeah. I said, okay, so we'll get on my phone. And I see these YouTube videos of like what I've signed up for. And I start freaking out. I literally was drinking a pear cider and I was like, I gotta go for a run. Like I ran five kilometers. Then the next day I called the local running group and I was like, I'm 
with you. Let's go running. I did nine kilometers with them. I was like, okay. Then I died up on the mountain doing Spartan race. I finished, got my medal. <laughs> right. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> really sick. So after the race, everyone's in the pavilion drinking beer, eating pizza, taking photos. And I was vomiting and had the cold sweats laying on my on, like I got really sick because I don't have that ability to hold back. Like I was like pushing that entire. Race. I was gonna say you were like I'm doing this. Yeah, it totally. Win, right. <laughs> and so right. I, I linked in with uh, uh, my friend because uh, Beachbody is a network marketing company who I ran track with in high school, and I've been seeing her her story. And I said, "How do I get in?" And I started Athletic Mama, and it was like I'm gonna get my inner athlete back. I'm gonna be like one with that inner athlete. I'm gonna attract other women in my community to do the same. And it's been awesome. I was able to resign from my full-time community manager job at the ground floor co-working space. I've recently picked up a part-time job as a program manager with the Kootenai Tech Association. Um, uh, or Kootenai Association of Science and Technology out of Nelson, BC. I'm running their youth programs and um, I'm connecting and leading a, com a fitness community online. And I am crushing at, well, if we had rec soccer right now, I would be crushing and at basketball because I'm fit again. So, yeah, I mean, amazing. I saw one of your comparison pictures also. I mean, awesome. Good for you. What does that mean, though, to be a virtual uh, health coach? Oh, well, it means that you are you coaching like groups of people? Yeah, so I run an accountability group, basically, right? So we train with uh, professional trainers through online videos that my company provides. And then my job is to m keep people who sign up motivated and inspired to continue the journey because everybody knows that maintaining a consistent fitness practice is really challenging. So we have all the tools available to you. And then within the community, which I run online, we have, I, I send a daily motivational message. There's an evening check-in every night we rate our day for like workouts water accountability rest whether we've had our protein shakes and and you know how we're feeling uh so mm -hmm. every day the people in my community are checking in with me and i chase them down if i don't hear from them oh, like, well <laughs> that's everything though get two in their water score i'm like girl drink your water <laughs> yeah well that's a, that's the critical part though about any coaching anything related you know the accountability a lot that's what a lot of people you distill it down to right you're paying a coach to keep you accountable so that you can achieve what you say you want to achieve right so you just mentioned you send a motivational magic you call it every monday um can you give us some words of wisdom right now or an example of what, what would be one of your motivational uh, oh. reminders right now what i've been really feeling is that is my it's like the hashtag i use it's winners train right so whether that is in in uh the context of a sporting event or figuring out what white privilege is and how you're working through that or quitting your job and starting a new direction you have to do the work you have to train so what does that look like what does that mean what's the first step to the training of whatever it is you're trying to achieve you, nobody gets to where, to the top without training. So, and, and that's how, that's how I navigate my life. I'm like, okay, what is the goal and how do I train to get there? So hmm. that's what I, when, when uh, you suggested that you were going to ask me that question, I was like, yeah, I think, you know, we have a lot of training to do right now. 
Yes, on a, in a lot of different areas. Totally. Okay, so ground floor co working space. This yep. is a location that is there in it's it's where you live. Yes, it's in, in Cranbrook, British Columbia. So it's the center in the Kootenay region. Yeah. So and it's Got only it. five thousand people. So let's uh, you know rein that in. The context is rural. Twenty five thousand population. Twenty five thousand. How many members in this co working space then? Well, so I haven't been there in a year, but when I left, it would have been about 50 between offices down to virtual memberships. Okay, got it. And so you were there for two years. You were responsible for operations and community management, marketing. Um, what are your thoughts on this new work from home? I have a friend of mine just tuned in. Gil works with Wells Fargo, and they've said to them, you know, these big corporations, right? Microsoft, Google are telling their employees that they're not going to come back to work until September, October next year big work from home culture emerging. Um, how do you think that it's going to impact co-working in the real estate industry? Okay, well, I'm not going to comment on real estate because I've never owned any piece of real estate, but co-working, I have some pretty clear ideas about it. Now, these are my ideas, so... <laughs> I do follow them, though, so I, I, I am keeping up to date because Juicy, if you guys aren't following Juicy, go follow Juicy. Okay, yeah. so... Um, I think that co-working spaces are going to have to get, or they're going to have to really look at their membership models, right? I think that people are going to be part-time members. I, 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 and so now I'm like the 40-year-old mom, right? And I can't get work done because my kids aren't in school. And like, what happens when school gets back? Am I going to be lonely? Yes, right? But I am also really i'm really productive when my kids leave me alone at my home desk and so i yeah. think membership models are going to be a key piece for co-working spaces i think that there's going to have to be some pretty flexible memberships so that i can do both so i can work from home and so that i can be a part of a co-working space do you think though so when i mean talk about the work from home culture though here don't you think my one of my biggest concerns has been mental health of people you know when you're especially you're you're a mom so you have children at home but there are a lot of individuals who are now at home maybe with with a spouse or have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you know in another location not together and so now you're at home alone how do you stay motivated how do you feel legitimate professional inspired i feel concerned about um, the mental health of having people work from home too much. Well, I think that that is directly related to my answer. You, I want to do both, right? Yeah. I'm the, and I think it depends on the type of person too, right? Like, you know, those people in the co-working spaces who I'm like, did you work at all today? Because <laughs> you were just a social butterfly. And they are right. connected productive people who want 10 minutes of inspiration and and that feeling of professionalism and some people is like you that's all you did all day in the co-working space right and then some people were really productive and then took the 10 minutes to connect with that butterfly right yeah. and so i mean but i do believe that the membership models are gonna and i, I want to see that i i mean i don't it's not my job anymore to figure out what that looks like but yeah. if i or owning a co-working space that is the research that i would be doing right now with the people who are working at home i think we do have to be read co-working spaces I, I i feel optimistic i absolutely feel optimistic that co-working is alive and it's gonna thrive okay because the because of the entire deconstruction of the corporate world right totally i think that those realist those companies are gonna let go of some of that real estate and then those then then they're 
their employees are going to be looking for something that is this yes. hybrid model of work from home and co-working. That is my prediction. But um, if the membership models don't exist when they when they're seeking that moment that they're seeking, then you might lose that opportunity. hundred percent agree. And I also think so what have a, a really awesome opportunity too. So if you live in a smaller city, if there's not a co-working space in your city and you live in a smaller city, open a co-working space. I am not joking right now. Like you'd be like, what, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and, I, and you're telling me to open a global, like, because people want to, people want to leave the city and they can't because of their jobs. How many people do you know? Like, oh, if I could just live in the suburbs or I would go here, I, like I'd love to live here. And their jobs aren't tying them down to those urban centers anymore. So I think yeah. we're gonna see that too. A hundred percent, of course, yeah, in New York City. Yeah, and in New York City, I mean, we have a mass exodus, I think, that's, you know, going to be happening here. People wanting to move to more rural suburban areas, 100%, you know. So, yes, I think all of what you're saying makes sense. So what's your biggest concern, do you think, for co-working operators in the next 6 to 12 months? Staying alive. Yeah. If I yeah. was working space right now, I would be really really trying to figure out how to earn revenue to make it to the other side. Yeah. Right? Make makes so, sense. It's, it's really that simple. I know. Um, let me, let me, but I mean, that, I think that people, you got to make it, you got to figure out what that virtual membership looks like and what is valuable to people right now online in terms of yeah. offers and, and, and start um, gaining some revenue. Totally. I mean, we didn't primarily just launched a work from home membership also for $30 a month where it includes access to our online uh, fitness classes um, member only perks, uh, happy hour, networking luncheon, things like that. Um, last positive here, sort of juju question before we go into the lightning round, which is always exciting and fun. What is the best thing to happen to you this year, Tanya? I think getting a job during coronavirus is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, check. yeah, I would agree with that. Jeez. My job in May and um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was pretty excited about it. Congratulations. Are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Number one, rename the coronavirus. Oh, the black people already did that. Datrona. Datrona? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. That's hilarious. I almost had a little one over here, too. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, just wait till you're 30. <laughs> just wait till you're 30? When I was 19, my Aunt Carol told me uh oh it's, i'm so glad you found it my aunt carol told me just wait i came home with a broken heart from college i lived with my aunt carol who was 45 at the time so she's like only a few years older than me it was a great relationship because she wasn't my mom and she was cool and um i was so broken hearted over this breakup and she was like just wait till you're 30 you'll be just as hot as you are now uh, but you'll have so much more confidence <laughs> and so, you know and even yeah I expected confidence as I was going through my twenties. Like I, you know, so that was, that was awesome. Mm, mm, yeah. Thanks aunt. What was her name? Aunt Carol. Aunt Carol. We love aunt Carol. Um, <laughs> where or to who are you turning for inspiration uh, right now? Not related to you. So music, a hundred percent. Michael Franti and Spearhead. I've been posting him all day. Uh, yeah. Bob Riley too. Um, 
I've been putting Microfantian Spearhead all on my stories all the time for my workouts because he has been preaching. Today I posted a song called Rock the Nation. I think it's from 1998. Mm. And it's so relevant to what's happening right now. So if you don't know Microfantian Spearhead, go follow them. Totally, for everybody who listens. Yeah, because Michael... Michael Fronte, I was gonna say Michael Fronte, um, everybody got to hug somebody yeah. at least twice, twice a day, right? Those were my favorite lyrics from him. <laughs> and uh, Latham Thomas at Glow Maven on Instagram, because she has been doing incredible work um, in the disparities for maternal health and maternal mortality for black women. And she's a doula and wellness influencer and yogi. And she coined the term optical allyship very recently and that's like the people who are just like looking like they're allies from the outside and like the what are the further steps anyways go follow latham thomas she's crushing and i love her she's a friend of mine so awesome latham thomas love it um okay are you an early bird or night owl early how early 5 a.m what's your favorite <laughs> position to play in on the soccer field striker <laughs> what's score? your favorite What's your total? You want to win. What's your favorite word? Uh, yo. Yo. I'm always like with the yo. Yo. <laughs> uh, what's your, your favorite fitness activity? Basketball. Basketball all day long. You're a baller mom. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite smoothie? What are the basic ingredients and recipe of your favorite smoothie? A chocolate protein powder, banana, half a banana, a couple ice cubes, almond milk, and peanut butter. Mm, yes, that's the power one for the muscles. Okay, hottest topic during the time of Corona is toilet paper. Do you pull over or under? I don't know. I don't have a preference. <laughs> you don't know. See, Liz? See, there's some people who don't know. No preference. I love it. Okay, last question. 2020 <laughs> or 2021? Uh, you know, my intuition was to say 2020 because I'm all about the underdog. <laughs> you know? Oh, we're going we're gonna to rise. <laughs> So yeah, I love it. We're gonna rise. Stay, stay here now, right? Thank you so much for all this time. Do you see how long we went? Oh, there's only one other person, my best girlfriend, Elijah. We went this long. <laughs> this, this was wonderful. And so, thank you again for all the authenticity, the vulnerability, encouraging us to speak up. If we could, you know, distill it down very simply. Um, wishing you so much continued success and uh, and and in your new job uh, during the time of Corona. Yeah. And um, and thank you again. Sending you lots of love and good wishes and it's good so health great. and safety. I can't wait to follow you and to hear more of the speakers on your series. Thanks. All right. Bye, everyone. Peace. Take care.